Hello, bienvenue and welcome to Oblivious Book Review, the podcast where we speak about our recent readings and a lot of other things. Today, your hosts are Sander and Elio. And today we are going to speak about How to Feed Europe in Time of Crisis, a book by Pablo Servigny. So, hello, hello. Hey. Hey, Elio. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Well, now that we have each other back to again. Yes. You are visiting shortly in Casta this weekend, mm-hmm. so we don't have an uh, off-distance um, Skype conversation for our new episode for our podcast. No, we have only one so far, and I feel like uh, we need to see each other. Yeah, <laughs> we miss each other a lot. No! <laughs> 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 but that's actually not the reason uh, you came here to Gaza, right? Yes, I came to Gaza to uh, for my graduation. Mm. I got my diploma, so I'm now uh, hopefully will make, become a useful member of society now. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, feel to say it. <laughs> yeah, use all your talents. Yeah. And I was your uh, plus one for your, your graduation, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, he was making my media coverage and that was pretty good. Yeah. I made some beautiful pictures of it all. Um, <laughs> graduation ceremony. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, uh, for this conversation, of course, we will discuss a little bit more about the book you have been reading. Yes. Like uh, all this... Um, Sweet happenings shouldn't make us forget about the heavy subject that I want to speak about oh today. God. So, but before we start, we I think our listener might have realized that we have a new logo now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to thank uh, Teresa Prada Jimenez yeah. for her logo. She's a designer, very talented, and she accepted to do this new logo for us. We like it very much, so we wanted to thank her. Oh man, uh, it uh, turned out very well. Mm-hmm. I really like how... Uh, the logo looks like our your previous logo was like uh, a five minute uh, design <laughs> and uh, now that take it hours to do <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah she's a very talented designer so if anyone I need of visuals you should uh, contact her yeah we put her contact details in our show notes so <laughs> if if you're interested yes never mind but I know you guys are hungry for more intellectual discussion mm. and uh, being hungry is exactly the subject of today because the uh, book title of today is Feeding Europe in Time of Crisis by Pablo Servigne. Uh-huh. Are we in crisis at the moment? Yes, we are. You think so? Yes, we are. And uh, we live on borrowed time. But I will explain all of this more in depth as mm. we go uh, because this subject is something actually pretty big for me. and. Uh, Pablo Servigne and the whole things he speaks about, it's something I could just uh, keep on going for hours or even entire days. Like if you want to have uh, nights where you don't sleep, just come to me and ask me about uh, to tell you about uh, collapsology. It's a subject I'm very interested in too, even if it's not exactly the focus of today. Okay, so but it will be a heavy subject to talk about. It might be a bit heavy for some, so please, um, viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> <laughs> Above 18, please. Yeah. <laughs> 18, exactly. <laughs> um, so Pablo Servin, who's that guy? Uh, he's French, 
And this kind of the, the most, uh, the leader, the symbol of this movement that is collapsology. Mm. And collapsology, uh, to put it extremely shortly, is the, the science behind the belief that uh, the transition won't happen. Mm. You know, the energetical transition that every media will uh, love to speak about and tell you how much uh, our windmills uh, is uh, saving the world already twice, uh, twice per day, you know. This is not going to happen because according also, to him, according to a lot of research, and there is actually a lot of reports. For example, the the Meadows report, the limit to growth, that is not the only one saying that. A lot of people said before, but he is the guy that made it uh, more popular among people in France. At least, I don't think he's very well known uh, outside of the. Uh, yeah. The baguette land. I uh, never heard of him actually. What I, what is his name again? Because Pablo Servigne. Pablo. Okay. Everyone speaks about him nowadays. So okay. He has a very sweet way of talking. Like himself as the as the character he is. Mm. He's a pretty interesting guy. Mm. Uh, and so, but this book I'm going to speak about, Feeling Europe in a Time of Crisis, is not his most famous book. Um, his most famous book right now, I will say, is a book called. Um, uh, if what if everything would collapse uh, and it tells you about how to deal and keep up with collapse I think uh, the subject I'm going to speak about today is very much linked to um, by some aspect to our episode and what we said on the episode about the wizard and the prophet Oh yeah. yeah. so uh, I send all our listeners back to this episode if they haven't listened to it uh, already these two subjects will be linked and it will be interesting to uh, Mix the two things we will say. So actually the topic of this book could be related as well of Wizard and the Prophets. Yes, somehow, but it's a very different approach. Mm. So uh, why is it a problem to feed Europe in time of crisis and what crisis are we talking about? Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm wondering because I don't see any crisis here. I have enough food in Sweden. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you have enough food right now, but where does your food come from? From Holland. We are the second largest uh, agricultural output in the world. Mm -hmm. So is the Holland not importing any food? Probably. Yeah. Uh, so we will. Well, I mean, we, for producing food, we need uh, some kind of energy, like uh, fuel. Mm -hmm. Probably we uh, to produce and produce. mostly to transport. Yeah. Because nowadays Europe is a big importer of food. Mm. A lot of the food we consume every day, we bring it from very far distances, mm. mostly by trucks, but even by boats, boats. or stuff like this. Yeah. Boats is the biggest way. And so this means that the food we consume is dependent on fuel, and nowadays it's mostly fossil fuel. 90% mm. of the energy we use comes from fossil fuel. Mm. And so if we were not to have enough fossil fuel to make this whole food system work, Actually, the Europe will starve because mm. we don't produce enough food to feed uh, all the population we have. We, we need to import food every day. How much? Do you know how much food we need to? Uh... It will depend country by country, but a good rule of thumb is that to think like uh, the food you're going to buy in the supermarket in three days has not reached the country yet. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, like, if this food stops coming, every big cities they're really not uh, autonomous or self-sufficient food-wise. Mm. The, the countryside could do. But this would be until the horde of uh, very hungry people will come. Like we live in a in society that is so stretched food-wise, 
if the supply stops for a very short amount of time, we don't have any reserve anywhere. While in the back in the days, everyone had reserve for the winter in case of uh, the, if the culture was not good. But mm -hmm. we don't anymore. We live in a very, very efficient and um, non-reserve agriculture world. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of see. Especially if I want to contribute to it, like, um, for example, these days you can also relate maybe to the Brexit. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if uh, Great Britain decides to have a hard uh, Brexit, it means like one day or another day there is no, uh, there's a border control. So mm -hmm. they have to control the food that's coming into the Great Britain. They, As a, for example, yes. Yeah, and then there is like a delay in the food supply. Mm, it's more complication. Yeah, so it could be uh, people starting to uh, hurting food and. Uh, well, this is just like they add some complications, some laws, but in, you're saying it in the way that the food will keep on coming. It will be coming, but it will be stopped at the border for a while. And this process is maybe it takes um, several weeks, maybe months to, <laughs> to, to get a better efficient process. Because now it's like, uh, like EU-wise, like you can mm. go from another country to not, uh, one country to another country without any issues. But one thing that would kind of solve the problem would yeah. be if the food is not coming at all. No. What if there is not enough fuel to bring the food? And so now we ask the question like how many fossil fuel do we have left? Because it's mm. something material. So technically uh, there is a limit to how much there is of that. Mm. So if we use some every day and now none of it is created, mm. then there is a point when we don't have any fossil fuel anymore. Yeah. And this is called the uh, peak oil. And it's something that is now acknowledged by many great institutions that we reached around 2006-2008 mm. during the last big financial crisis mm -hmm. and this means that every day that passed after a peak we have to do what we do with less and less of this so less and less fuel, fossil fuel, this means everything we do usually mm. everything in our society nowadays is powered by fossil fuel this means everything in our society becomes more complicated because we lose this power backing us up yeah but uh, about this peak you mean that uh, at that around that time 2006 2007 that has been the high point of we could use oil or what do you mean with the peak point the peak is so if you imagine a gaussian curve in mm. the beginning is when we discover that you can use oil, but we're not using much of it because we're really bad at using mm. it, we don't have so many means to use it, and we don't have so many means to go and gather it. Mm. But then we get better at this, we get better at this, so the curves get high exponentially, yeah. until we reach a point when the reserves are empty, mm. and this means even if we are very good at digging it, and uh, this becomes harder and harder because we use the easy reserves, and now we have to go for the hard ones. In the, in the North Pole. <laughs> in yeah. many places, yeah. uh, some ideas I, I keep, I lose track of all the non-conventional reserves people are aiming for because we need oil so desperately yeah. to keep on going. Yeah. Without oil, the society doesn't keep on going. No. No. And so when you reach that point, when you use more than half of the reserve or the easy to grasp reserve, mm. then this means every day you have less of it. Mm. It's as simple as that because you, you there is no more to grab. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, those kind of natural resources are... Uh, Finite, finite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Matter resources are finite. Yeah. Yes, so that's uh, that's presented like a pretty big problem. Mm. And in uh, top of that, as a cherry on the the trouble cake, mm. we get to have climate change mm. because the oil we already burn is causing climate change that is coming as a complication system that just makes everything more complicated as well. We had superpower oil, and now we're losing our superpower, and we have a. Um, 
uh, an additional complication, which is climate change, that will um, make all the yields from every agriculture go down. This means higher price. This means uh, famine in some place that doesn't have a, really a backup system or enough money to buy a backup system like we have in rich countries. Yeah. So. How to feed Europe in time of crisis? Because yeah. here the crisis is settled, we are going to have less fossil fuel. So everyone, we told you that this can be a bit a gloomy episode. Um, and this is what Collapsology and Pablo Servin speaks about a lot, is how to cope and deal with the realization that this crisis is happening and the society in which we live, through which the dream we, of our life, we, we build the dream of our life, with this image into this society, all of this might and is very likely to crash and be very different in the years to come. Nobody can say how many years. It's very like if someone tells you in five years exactly, I can tell you at the hour when this is gonna happen. They usually will be wrong. You cannot really trust that. But and we the big thing with climate change, in addition to that, is that we don't know most of it. Mm. But but, actually, what I was just wondering, this uh, Pablo is actually. Um, Advocator of um, the the argument that we are not able to fit overcome our issues with climate change. Mm, no, he he thinks there are solutions. He's one of the rare interesting persons speaking about it and sense person because you have a lot of uh, nonsense when it comes to uh, doing the transition. Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, but we will just switch to renewables. Yeah, and every energetic engineer will tell you. We don't have enough materials to build all these uh, solar panels. It costs uh, materials, and solar panels are the children of fossil fuel as well. Because mm -hmm. to make one solar panel come together, you need materials from 20 different countries. Yeah. So if transport. you don't have, yeah, if you don't have the transport, you cannot make a solar panel either. And as well, they don't have the same energetic density, which means like in one liter of oil, you have so much more energy than you can have with solar panels all over the world. Mm -hmm. And a big problem with uh, renewable energy as well is the fact that they are um, intermittent, which means when you have sol when you have sun, you have energy. When you don't have sun, you don't have solar power. Yeah, yeah. There's a peak time and a downtime with solar energy. Exactly. Same with wind energy. And then you, if you have this energy, and usually when you have the peak time of this the sun, people don't use the energy like electricity on the time period. Yeah. So you have to store this energy somewhere. <laughs> That's even an additional problem. Yeah. Like when we need the electricity the most is when uh, in the morning or the yeah. evening when people come home from work. Yeah. Exactly, and start to put on Netflix. Yeah. So regarding the energy and the, this whole transition, climate change, everything is something. All of these subjects are very trendy nowadays. But if there is one message I can give in this podcast to all the people that are <laughs> listening to us, is it sounds very scary and very uh, complicated sometimes and it's because you need to put the problem right you need to put the right equation you know we have a problem because some uh, complications are coming up to us mm. and already happen to many populations that have less uh, means to cope with it than us like yeah. in the middle east you have a lot of migration and everything yeah. but so what i wanted to say is put the problem right be sure to understood what the problem was and then you can think about solution if you take the media prefabricated solutions that are renewable energy will help us to maintain the society exactly nothing will change except you're gonna have solar panels on your on your roof well this is not a solution because they did not understand exactly how deep the problem was mm. and so the, the 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 gist of the problem will be what you would like to explain now or 
Um, the problem is that we need fossil fuel for everything our society does right now. And without fossil fuel, there is contraction of the economy. Mm. You cannot have uh, GDP without CO2. And uh, if you don't have carbon, you cannot have a growth. And mm. our society needs growth every day. We need to do more every day. That's the way we work, the way the society we build function. So this cannot function on the, without the oil, and we are losing the oil now. So um, that's, the, that's the problem. So take everyone, I think, a moment to breathe in, get this information in. And I haven't, I haven't even started to speak about the book. But I, <laughs> it's important. I said, like, we can, you can spend hours. This uh, podcast will just be an introduction to it. Mm. Hmm. And brief. <laughs> think, think about the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Your tree is powerful and strong. Okay. If you if you are more interested into the question of energy and how to put the problem right, I can only orientate you towards a guy that is very brilliant, a French person, of course. <laughs> He's called Jean-Marc Jancovici. We you, put his name in the description as well. Yes, I was thinking the same. <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah. But uh, let's speak a bit about the books then. Yeah. How to Fine. feed Europe in time in uh, this time of crisis that yeah. we are living in too. So the the main problem is that the, the distribution system. Pablo Servin speaks a lot of systems, and he says that it depends on a very long distance transport, mm. which is this is something that will disappear. So then the solution is quite obvious. If you cannot bring food from very far, you have to go out yourself. You have to, maybe not yourself, but more I mean, like in, in your own country. Closer to you. Yeah. Yes. So it can be outside of the border, but <laughs> like it has to be close to you. Because you cannot bring it to long distance. So you have to grow things around you. No. You have I mean, to get your food from somewhere close. Yeah. Geographically. But uh, for example, it, it makes more sense for me if you go to a supermarket and you see this banana. Oh, it comes all the way from Costa Rica. I don't know where. Or or from uh, Puerto Rico, it doesn't make sense to buy a product who has come all the way from there and you eat it here and along the way. Well, it, it makes sense if you have the energy to afford it, it makes sense economically. Yeah. Like people who want this banana, I can reach the banana for a cheap price, then I do it. But I don't, I'm not sure it is well, logically not. I mean, it, it's mm. something is weird, you say. Like it's yeah, I mean, it's so far away. Like, the certain type of apples from New Zealand is all the way from... <laughs> yeah, like the Pink Lady or so. That's the one they grow in New Zealand. Do they grow in New Zealand? Yeah, they grow a certain type of apple. We ask the community to yeah. fact-check us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are wrong. <laughs> but for me, it makes sense. If you, if you have the energy to bring it, and people will be happy and willing to pay for this Pink Lady then I guess you can do. Although, this is something that is mentioned in the book as well, um, which is like the, the market laws through which we are bound to nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, like the law of offer and demand. We yeah. say the market, we regulate everything. The market regulates itself. That's uh, the society in which we live nowadays. Yeah. This is based on the fact that if everyone has the same information, we will make the best choice. Yeah, Everyone will make a measure for themselves yeah. and then the price will uh, reflect in the, in exactly. the number. Yeah. But uh, first of all, not everyone has all the information. So that's making a difference of uh, who is most likely to make a good bet. 
And as well, there are so many books right now that are showing the fact that we, the, the consumer, is not rational. There is no, a book definitely. from Dana Yeli, extremely good. Maybe we speak about it uh, in the next episode if, uh, if we have, if we have enough time. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, is the, call, the book is called Predictably Irrational. Mm -hmm. Everything is said. We are not rational. We are animals that have uh, bias. And it's not a bad thing. That's the way we are. We shouldn't be ashamed for it. No, don't be ashamed. <laughs> no. But uh, and another thing is that the market cannot regulate the, or deal with the crisis to come mm. because they will undermine the thing that keeps it going. If you cannot have a market, if you cannot exchange globally, then the market cannot take care of this because it makes him disappear, or at least at the scale he is. Mm. I think commerce and exchange between people won't disappear. No, never. But we might see a downscaling again. Now everyone was speaking about globalization, mm. but if you cannot bring, or it's much more expensive to bring things uh, around, then you start uh, dealing with your neighbors more. Mm. Mm. And how uh, kind of systems did... Uh Pablo, Pablo, yeah. <laughs> Pablo, 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 introduce or discuss about. So yeah, the solution he proposed. Oh yeah, Pablo is an agronom engineer. Like, hmm, that's an interesting. That's his formation yeah. initially, and then he become uh, a spiritual guide for many people. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so his solutions is um, trying to grow more local and thinking always in system. It's not like one person that is going to grow for yourself. This way, when you say grow yourself, I wasn't really informed of this solution because it's not only you. Because one year, if let's say you try to grow, making an urban growing, you grow your food on your roof, mm -hmm. some in your garden, and one year uh, your food gets bad because of a disease or something. This happens. If you're on your own, this means death. Mm -hmm. You die. You don't have food. But if you are with a lot of other people growing, if you have like very tight links of people together, mm. then you can have a much more resilient uh, food system. This way he speaks about food system. And his main idea, if I had to summarize the book in one sentence, oof, why am I putting myself in this situation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be uh, create social link between people in a way that people will know each other so they become more resilient. Mm -hmm. But how do you, uh, what do you, how do you do that in a, in a city? I mean, in a little village, I could see myself uh, yeah. more easier, it's like more a little, easy, more, like a more com small community. But in a city kind of uh, situation, it's that's more difficult. Well, you have good example that are the transition cities Which from cities? Uh, Rob Hopkins. It's a movement called the Transition Cities, oh. and there is a whole set of things they do, and usually a big part of it is making cities uh, sovereign regarding their food intake again. Mm. So it, it started in the UK, actually. It's pretty big. You should check that out as well. <laughs> uh, and they're very happy. They're pictured in the, the French documentary tomorrow. Of course, I speak a lot about French, French. because a lot of my uh, reference come from there, <laughs> since I'm originally from there. But I really think it's ideas that will gain to be spread uh, outside of our um, France. <laughs> outside of France, but yeah, I, I wanted to mean a cheese-loving country. Cheese-loving country. <laughs> I have only the Swedish one coming but to my you, uh, France is also a cheese-loving country anyway. 
Yes, what I meant, like yeah, uh, Holland as well. So I thought you were mentioned to me. <laughs> we're speaking about different scales, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, try to go local. Try to get many people involved, and he makes a, a big. Um, he's very in front of permaculture as well. Mm. It is a way to grow a lot of things intensively on small patches, kind of the opposite of monoculture and uh, very, oh. on very large land. Mm. This is easy to deal with. Permaculture is much more complicated, it's much more complex, much, much more resilient as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, he goes for polycultures. But why do you think a monoculture is uh, kind of uh, um, it's bad or not so good than, uh, well, what's the opposite? Polyculture. Po polyculture. Poly stands for like uh, multiple. Plural. Plural, yeah. Like many and mono, one. Yeah. But monocultures, for example, you only grew certain type, one type of uh, potato. Yeah, exactly, yeah. like a huge potato field, yeah. like for like Which kilometers is, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so um, one farm is specialized in uh, growing potatoes and one in mm -hmm. onions. That's very good for the economy. This is what the globalization yeah. is doing. Like everyone starts to have like one function, do one thing. Because we're very good with it, and then you become like specialized in it, and then you can sell what you're best at to the yeah. rest of the world. So when you have the possibility to bring everything everywhere, this is a very good idea. If you take away the fact that doing that is destroying the climate, yeah. like it, it's, it makes sense in that way. And it's cost effective. It's cost effective for the economy. It's yeah. very good. Yeah. Like I understand why we went to the system because money-wise, it's very efficient. But then, if you look at the way nature works, mm -hmm. if you have like a big field of one grade of potato. You have so many examples of catastrophe that happens when you have one virus or pathogen, mm -hmm. one like bacteria that start to like this potato. Yeah. They spread it's like uh, yeah. because they're all the same. Mm -hmm. And this why in nature we have so many differences to be resistant if there is like one type of uh, pathogen or predator or any damage that can affect one uh, one shape of the potato, one uh, gene yeah. genome of the potato very easily. Then, if you have many different, the, the, the pathogen cannot spread as easily. Mm -mm -mm. While if you have only one species of tomato in the world, yeah. when this happens, it's a crash. This yeah. happens with the banana. We almost lost yeah. all the banana in the world. Yeah. And then they found another breed. It happens with rice sometimes. That's why, like having only one one um, breed of a given plant, it's not resilient. No. It's efficient, but not resilient. No. And for example, from my own experience, when I went for a holiday to Borneo. Mm -hmm. There, um, this uh, island in the uh, uh, Indonesian archipelago, which is shared with uh, Malaysia as well, is uh, originally in a rainforest, but they cut everything down to plant oil, uh, palm oil trees. Mm, that's very trendy nowadays as well. Yeah, it makes a lot of, actually it's very profitable for the country itself, but if you drive through this uh, island and you see uh, acres and acres of palm oil trees, mm. you see the, um, there's no wildlife anymore, you know, it's no. just just these trees and maybe some birds and stuff like that, but the whole ecosystem itself is, is it's collapsed, no, not collapsed, yeah, yeah, it's that's collapsed, a, yeah. That's exactly what the collapse is, I mean, yeah. very strong uh, and uh, brutal diminution in biodiversity. And palm oil trees are not even uh, originally from that region, they're from West, Western Africa. Uh -huh. from Cameroon or something, and they took those seeds to uh, Asia, yeah, Southeast uh -huh. Asia, to use it as an alternative way to 
gain uh, earn money because it was very poor uh, several decades ago. Now they're quite richer, but still uh, the the loss of the ecosystem itself, uh, like the species, the all the primates, uh, the orangutans are a very popular mm -hmm. example of it. Yes. Because they are very uh, catchy for human beings, you know? Yes. Like, um, Nobody wants to say mosquitoes. No. <laughs> Actually, I think the mosquitoes are even more now because there is uh, less, <laughs> yeah, because there are a lot of less predators for the mosquitoes to eat them. Mm -hmm. So there's a rise of those kind of um, insects, I would say. Yeah. But you were saying like we lose a lot of animals and that's very true and that's very bad for us because it's the ecosystem and the, the, the life that helped us to thrive yeah. that is disappearing. But there is also a big loss that we don't see is the microorganisms and mm. they are extremely important for the way the world works. Mm. Some microbiologists that of course get uh, hyper-focused like any scientific, they think like their field it's is the best. The yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. explain everything. Yeah. But I think they tend to be very right when they say uh, focusing on large animals, this is a bit of a side project. Mm -hmm. The real shit, it's happening at the microorganisms level. They, they drive everything. We have them into us, we, they're yeah. everywhere and they, they make most of the process going. Mm. We are just like uh, able to carry them. Mm. And we, we, we live in an environment nowadays that is so gentle, so stable, and so long that we can evolve to be large animals like us. Mm. But uh, if big crisis happens, they're the one that uh, survives. Stays. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, about the book, uh, Feeding Europe in Time of Crisis, he... now we put the problem pretty right. I think we took some time to define what the problem is. Uh, and this is important because then it will allow us to have good ideas. Mm. If, you, if you put the problem right and you know what question to answer, you can give the right answers. If the question is badly uh, formulated, exactly, yeah. badly formulated, thank you, <laughs> uh, then you can only give answers that are failing to reach the target. Mm. Yeah. So, um, the, what Pablo Servin is telling about, is, is speaking about, is that we should put on politics of resilience. And resilience is something different than resistance. Yeah, of course. Like resistance is a capacity to resist change, while resilience is a capacity to cope with change. It's like there is a shock happening to me, and I will change in a way that is not destroying my core function. Mm. While like, for example, the um, this grass that is growing uh, next to the um, to the water ponds, they're mm. very easy. As soon as a, a bit of wind blows, they get blown away. Mm. But then when the wind starts to blow, they come back to position. Mm. Like they, they stop moving, while the resistant thing would be a big old tree that like when the wind blows, it doesn't move at all. But if the wind blows too strong, then the tree breaks yeah. and is dead. Mm -hmm. While the, the small grass that uh, get blown as soon as it blows uh, a bit, they never die mm. because they get uh, pushed just a bit. Mm. And then when the wind stops blowing, they come back to position. Yeah. So that's the difference between resistance and resilience. Mm -hmm. And Pablo Servin is advocating for resilience. And this means a lot of small systems, a lot of um, people growing a bit. Because when you have a lot of diversity, your system is much more resilient. Mm -hmm. This why biodiversity as well is so important. is because it's a lot of um, resilience. The more biodiversity you have, every different species is a different chance 
for something to survive in case of shock mm -hmm. for ecosystem. That's why it's uh, kind of the, the number of chances an ecosystem will have in case of uh, if they're facing shocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I try to follow it. If you put it on an individual level, like in a personal level, like uh, uh, you mentioned, like uh, do it locally. So does it mean that people have to grow food-wise themselves or uh, is it like a community do it for themselves? Or mm, It's good to think in a smaller scale and I think we don't have a choice to go back to smaller scale because it will be so expensive to, to deal with far neighbors yeah. that uh, we won't be able to do it. So actually I was discussing about this with someone, with a friend from Poland mm. that is uh, a very different view from me. Uh, as uh, some Polish people are, he is uh, a bit more nationalistic mm -hmm. than me. But he, I think he told me something very true. He had a good uh, vision of what's to come. If we are not able to make long distance trade and every, any long distance action with uh, our distance neighbors, then every country or community or group of humans will start focusing a bit more on themselves and on the thing that their vicinity, on the mm. thing that are around them. Mm. And this cope we coped, uh, I mean, mixed with the fact that the rise of the Nationalist Party in uh, most of European countries, I think it's something that is pretty likely to happen. I'm really not knowledgeable of the question, so that might be a few more books needed yeah. to be read. <laughs> For me, personally, for me, I, I don't see yet uh, how it will be done in in practical form. Mm -hmm. I mean, my biggest question is, is like, yeah, are people willing to do? Because if you want to grow your field, it means you have to spend a lot of time into it. Mm, not everyone wants to be a no. urban farmer. No, mm. that's a big question. But I think everyone, everyone wants to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, we got very used to our comfortable lifestyle that we have. So what, uh, Susie? I think given the, the, the pressure, people will change. I, I think growing stuff is a very rewarding thing. Many yeah. people like to grow, have a few plants at home. Maybe they don't want to grow everything for their own sustain. And this would be people that are more into it that we grow more things. Yeah, for you, but I've, some people don't have yeah. much knowledge about growing. I uh... Actually, that's one thing that is mentioned in the book, that a lot of people that are joining the, all the initiatives around uh, urban farming, it's very, pretty big in the US and in many big cities, uh, are people that we call NIMA in French. NIMA? What does it mean? Uh, not coming from the agricultural world. Okay. Like people that are, for example, a computer engineer, a mm. content, they kind of get these ideas to them, realize like, oh, this sounds like it makes sense. I would like to be more knowledgeable about it, but I don't know shit about how to grow potatoes, how to make permaculture, it's very funny for me. And then they, they go, they have so many formations right now and so many people that are getting together and, and trying to get the knowledge from our grandparents that we kind of yeah, lost. Yeah, we lost uh, because our grandparents or maybe some of our parents, they have those knowledge of yes of traditional growing, yeah, yeah but we the this generation or maybe the, the millennials they either they don't have any experience or uh, interaction with it mm. and about what you said earlier I can really see it uh, for some people it's not very sexy to think like oh no I will have to grow carrots like <laughs> I wanted to be a building engineer I wanted to be an artificial intelligence uh, 
uh, engineers, computer scientists, you know, it's not what they want to do. They're not into that. They like uh, different things. Well, I think there is a place for everyone in that field because it's just our future and everyone, the skills they have can try to add them to the system. Mm. I don't think you have to, everyone has to become a, a base level farmer. Now, hopefully, I hope we can make something uh, more sexy happening and uh, try to make something more than the way it was a thousand years ago when we were all in medieval age because mm -hmm. this is the time when we only live on renewables energy. Yeah. We only had wind and uh, <laughs> water power to yeah. make our things. That, that was full renewables. But not sure we want to live that way. No, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> I think we uh, had been talking already uh, for a long, longer time than usual. Yes. So I guess we should wrap it up a little bit. Yes, I'm sorry if I got a bit uh, too excited. Like I said, I could speak hours about this subject. Maybe I will try to bring out a few books that are around this subject again. Please tell us if you would like to hear more about it, and we will. Mm -hmm. uh, but thank you for listening. Yes, yes, it was very nice to see you again. Yes. And <laughs> we could a uh, pretty uh, little announcement that we will have a guest speaker soon enough. Yes. Uh, we will keep you a little uh, secret for it, but we <laughs> will introduce it uh, soon enough. Yes, so we're planning to have a guest speaker in the, one of the videos to come. Yeah. Uh, so right now he has to finish his book and, <laughs> and, and prepare himself. It, but we know already who it's going to be. Yeah. So uh, see you soon and uh, thank you for being here with us today. I hope we I didn't make your day bad. <laughs> and uh, really the, the thing you can do if these questions uh, started to affect you, look a bit around the internet. A lot of people are willing to share and discuss about it and try speaking a bit around you. It's, it helps to have others. Well, that being said, I guess I don't have anything to add to it. <laughs> so, see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>